The Confluence Story Gathering Podcast is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Find us at confluenceproject.org. I was telling people, you don't need a permit. You got the exclusive right to use this reservation the way you see it. I try to tell like to my young people, my grandsons, my nephews, uh, anyone that will listen. Hello and welcome to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. Bruce Jim remembers as a kid just how big the salmon were before the dams went in. Today, Bruce is an elder with the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs and a fish commissioner with the Columbia River Intertribal Fish Commission. Bruce Jim is actively involved in restoring wildlife habitat on the Warm Springs Reservation in Central Oregon and beyond those boundaries to the tribe's ceded lands in the John Day River Basin and the high desert of the Columbia River region. In this episode, we'll hear from Bruce Jim on his role in fighting for fishing rights in the 1970s and 80s. But first, he'll tell stories about his childhood, fishing at the mighty fishery at Celilo Falls, before it was flooded in 1957 by the Dalles Dam. My English name is Bruce Jim. My Indian name or Native American name is Kayamaluk. I don't understand the meaning of that, a person that did uh, pass away a few years ago. I never got to talk to him about it, but uh, my grandfathers, you know, are from Columbia River and Snake River system. And my whole family uh, comes from uh, the Columbia River, the YM, Kamiltpas, Takpus, Tanaino, you know, the, that uh, lived in that country and around this country, uh, in the John Day country. Uh, that's what you um, call Tachbus, uh, John Day River. My grandfather, his name was Iaia, and he was from, he signed the Treaty of 1855. My other grandfather, Yaisi and Isu was also treaty signers uh, from Celilo. And uh, my dad, that was my mother's people. My dad, my mom's dad was John Culpus, Culpis. And he was a nephew of Chief Joseph. And we have that family lineage. As I was growing up and getting older, uh, we started fishing for my grandpa over on the island and over on a place called Indian Head Rapids. By Tawash, um, they call it in Indian, and then up John Day River. We would go to John Day River first and go down on the Wasco side and come on down the hill. Then we go across a little with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife with a cross or cross and the measure of water or something. And our scaffolds were on that side and, we'd, and fish there. 
And that was like in May, June. Then after that, we'd uh, go back to Salilo and Tenaino. My other grandma stayed in Tenaino, and, uh, which was about three, four miles, maybe five miles from Salilo. And uh, she used to live there. I'd go down and stay with her once in a while, <clears throat> visit. Some of my aunts would be there. But most of the time, I just stayed in the village. Uh, my grandpa didn't like me going uh, too far away because a lot of times we were, uh, it'd be called someplace, you know, go see somebody or whatever, because he was a medicine medicine man, medicine singer. And so I did usually kind of just more or less stay in there. In the August, we go from the village up to Indian Head Rapids, John Day Dam. When they built John Day Dam, it floated that over. But that was the last place in my memory where I seen salmon that was over 100 pounds, 110, 115 pounds. I mean, they were huge. And my grandpa used to sit behind us on a rock ledge like that, had a kind of a lean-to off the cliff, and then a bed and stuff. And then we had a big fish box, probably about from right there to there, about this high. Had a cover on it. Well, me and my cousin, we were laying around in the scaffold like that, and we had our nets in, and we had our hand on the rope, you know, laying in the scaffold, you know, like that. And you could hear the current when the water out there would come, come up, and the poles would really shake. Then as that bubble went down, then it would calm down. All you hear is tinkling of the water against the poles. Then all of a sudden you hear that like that when the water go up. So we got kind of a bright idea. We pulled our hoops because we weren't catching anything. Pulled our hoops up and then uh, the guideline had loosened it up and we put it down further and tied it on and done the same thing. Now we had to wait for the water to subside and we Pushed it down. Well, we didn't know we pushed it down that far. Well, they had that much of the pole sticking over the scaffold. So we didn't have hardly anything to tie with. So we ended up tying that and we had the scaffold there. And we'd look back at Grandpa, you know, ah, he's probably still asleep. And we're going there. Well, Stanley did the same thing and he pushed this down and we tied it up and he come running back over to my scaffold, we were laying there like a talking around. And all of a sudden, <laughs> got one. And I pulled a knot, slip knot, and my pole shot up on the high as the ceiling like that. But when we got the hoop and stuff off, I couldn't lift it here. I was just trying to lift it. I was trying to call my grandpa. So I better, uh, suddenly come over and we grabbed onto, we were grabbing onto the hoop and I, both of us were trying to pull up, and our fish was so heavy that, you know, with the water pushing, you know, and I 
Just the way I got it up and put it on his scaffold, when I got in here to run over and left me stay. I finally got my uh, ribbon pulling up where I pulled it, a salmon fell out onto the scaffold. I, I woke up my grandpa, and my grandpa was really proud of us. I had his little light. Then my grandma, up in the pickup, was up where that main freeway is now. Had to come down a big old trail and a flat basalt. It was kind of rocky. She had to come across a little trail like that. And she would put two of those salmon in a big sack, and she had a headband, and she put it on and walk up and take that. And me and Stanley had one salmon, and we were staggering, <laughs> staggering around trying to and I came up with Grandma. Grandma got up to the pickup, took a salmon out, was walking back halfway across the flat, looking at us, and both of us hanging on to the sack. And uh, got our salmon out. Then we started kind of looking at uh, the sky and stuff. And then uh, a lot of the things that we did when we were small and all that. Today, only young people can imagine. People younger than me can only think and look at the picture of those guys and never know where it was to live with them. When you got that frame of mind and stuff, you keep that, you know, on the I should tell my older nephews that you can only imagine what that man did. But, you know, I know his Indian name. I know who he was. I rode with him and fished with him, you know. That's something that you're never going to see. And all my grandfather's old man were fished. I should chop wood for him. He'd sit there outside smoking a cigarette. I'll be out there making kindling, you know, for him and his wife. Out there, and he would sit there. And we get done, then reach the park, he'd get his old little purse and unfold it. Give me a quarter or 50 cents. i go, go buy pop. I'd take off and go buy pop at the station. All those old guys, you know, like that. What we did, what we did on Salido, and what we did here on the reservation. You're listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. In this episode, we're hearing from Warm Springs elder Bruce Jim. As an adult in the 1970s, he joined the fishing rights movement, whose leaders included Billy Frank Jr. There was an undercover operation called Salmon Scam, but in 1974, a ruling known as the Bolt Decision reaffirmed that federal treaties guaranteed the right of tribal members along the Columbia River to fish along the usual and accustomed places where their ancestors fished. The United States Commission on Civil Rights held hearings in Seattle in 1977, specifically to address Native American civil rights. Arthur Fleming chaired the commission, something you'll hear Bruce mention. 
By the way, all these years later, a statue of Billy Frank Jr. will represent the state of Washington in the U.S. Senate's Statuary Hall. Here's Bruce Jim. Prior to the salmon scam, I lived in Cooks, Washington, and Salilo. My main home was Salilo, but my fishing camp was in Cooks, Washington. And we had a lot of people down there at that time fighting, basically fighting for tree rights, um, our right to catch a fish. And we had a lot of conflict at that time with sports groups. I mean, fights, I mean, really big fights. And it started getting bad when the game wardens kind of start shooting, shooting at us and shooting at boats. I got a boat up here at my house that's got two bullet holes in there from that time. Well, in the early 70s or middle 70s, we started a, a deal called the United Indian Fish Committee. Fishermen got together and uh, we started working on different things at that time. And one of the things was that fishermen from the American Indian Bank, that a lot of people, a lot of people all of a sudden became fishermen. This was pre-Critvic days, pre-Columbia River and the tribal. We still had trouble with Oregon State, Washington State, Washington State game, Oregon State game, uh, Washington fisheries, and uh, Fish and Wildlife Service. And the Fish and Wildlife Service was pretty bad because they're the ones that had the heavy, heavy guns, you know, automatics and everything, government. So we had a meeting down there in the Dells in the hotel, and we needed to talk, uh, bring this out somewhere. And this one man came in, he says, you know, there's a government entity going around called Arthur Fleming's Native American something rights or something like that. Would you like to go talk to them? And I kind of, I was younger then, didn't uh, do too much public speaking. And I said, yeah, I would. And so the, it was up in Seattle that it was happening. There was all kind of tribes there. And mine was the only one on Columbia River. I got up there and I was just getting off the elevator. I went down to the meeting floor. There was a young man walking by, had a clipboard. So I followed him and he turned and told me, your name isn't really on there, but I heard what they were telling you. So we got in there and he asked me what, what it was about. And I did have some papers uh, printed out what I was gonna read to the Native American rights deal. So he wanted a copy of that to present to Arthur Fleming and his uh, 
panel. So they're making copies now, sitting there in that room, wall, just like that. Nothing, no windows or nothing. I seen little steps. And I wonder what that was. I seen this man walk up there, went up there, and then when I got out, out there, I turned around and I told him, I said, you know, there's a window up there? It looked just like that. You know, it was on both sides of the, where the panel was sitting there, on both sides, and they called my name. <clears throat> they said, Bruce Jim, Columbia River. So I got up and I told them that I represented uh, the fishermen of the Columbia River called the United Indian Fish Committee. And I saw reading my statement. Before that, you can hear people talking around. You know how it is in a full room when other people are talking, you hear people talk. But when I got up and started talking, presenting that uh, paper to the government, it got quiet. You can hear any kind of noise. And uh, after I got done talking, then everybody got up and started clapping. Before I knew Billy Frank, he was in there and he got up and he said, that's what we need to hear, you know, all of that. I never knew that he was my wife's uncle that time. And uh, after we got back, that's what started the program about uh, tribes' right to manage the Columbia River the tribe's right to enforce their laws down there, the tribe's right to have court cases from Oregon State, Washington State, uh, move to tribal court. All of that came about because of that testimony. But, you know, it just gets to the point that when you, that was before the salmon scam, but it was when the conflict was going on, on the fishing rights. A lot of these young children, or young fishermen today, uh, don't realize the fight that we had to do uh, in order for them to do what they're doing today on Columbia. I got scars, you know, on there from uh, getting hit by game wardens, you know. My oldest son, uh, teeth knocked out, and he was just a young boy. And uh, boat shot twice, you know, and it was just really something bad that it was almost uh, beginning to be an armed conflict where our people, our fishermen, were actually getting clubs and uh, guns and whatnot, and actually doing some shooting, and especially with a sportsman. We had the sportsman pull guns on us at the landing. We didn't have any. So we started packing uh, shotguns around and everything. And uh, the Wind River was a good example. We come pulling in, four of those guys come down, about 30 sports people standing up on top, and they started yelling at us, cussing on at us, calling us all kind of names. 
and one guy had a rifle waving around about hanging us or through shooting us and throwing in the river. And my partner said, I'm getting tired of this um, stuff. And under the boat, reached down, pulled out his shotgun, got off and told him, I'm tired of your, um, I don't want to say the word, but I'm tired of that. And uh, them guys backed off. One man come down, he said, no, put the shotgun away. I don't think anybody's gonna shoot you or anything. So my cousin put the shotgun back underneath. And just after that, uh, Washington State Patrol and everything came down, threw us on the ground, handcuffed us all up, then uh, was taking us to uh, Skamania County Jail. Uh, we were laying on a hot pavement, uh, you know, for a good 15, 20 minutes before Washington Fisheries got there. And that started a court case. We had um, tribal attorneys from Warm Springs work with uh, tribal attorneys in Yakima to represent us in Skamania County. Then when we got a ticket in Dallas or uh, Hood River County, uh, Judge Jeldrix, who's a, a federal court magistrate now, was a chief judge in uh, the Dallas, Wasco County. Anyway, they would come down to the court and they would represent the tribal people there and have it referred back to Warm Springs Court. That was the beginning of Umatilla, Nespers, Yakima, Warm Springs, sending police officers down to patrol the river. And, uh, and as Roy Samsel came in there and Harold, Delbert, Linton Winnershut, uh, Levi George, uh, Victor George, Wilford Yellup, uh, I could name a whole bunch of them got together and they created a Columbia or Intertribal Fish Committee, took over on the United Indian Fish Committee. And Roy Samson was a, a caretaker at that time for the United Indian Fish Committee. Then he became the commission uh, boss over there. And we already had fishing places. So that began that. But we were still fighting for fishing rights and all of that. But to do this, you know, I was telling people, you don't need a permit. You got the exclusive right to use this reservation the way you see it. I try to tell like, to my young people, my grandsons, my nephews, uh, anyone that would listen. You're listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. In this episode, we're hearing Warm Springs Elder Bruce Jim, a longtime fishing rights advocate and a commissioner with the Columbia River Intertribal Fish Commission. I gave a testimony uh, down in Portland 
the mayor was there at that time from the, from the, and uh, we had the U.S. versus Oregon. I even turned and told the mayor, Mayor, I'm going to remind you of something. You look out in this window. You see all these buildings. You see all these streets. You see all of this. And I wanted the mayor to remember where that come from. It come from my people. It was a land that we had. And you better remember the benefit that you got from this land. And the same way with Fish and Wildlife and uh, Corps of Engineers. You look at what happened to my people. All our villages, all our burial sites, all our family fishing grounds, all underwater. No more villages, but move villages up. But what did you guys do? You look at Skmania, uh, Cascade Locks, you look at Biggs, you look at Rufus, you look at Boardman, you look at Patterson, Arlington. Every one of those places got moved, built up. Boardman got the whole town moved up. Every one of those people that lived there got business deals for service stations, restaurants, and all of that. And I told him, I says, my grandma is still waiting for that $168 for that pile of boards. That's what your colonel marked on our shack that was laying in the big pile. So I said, oh, that's worth about 160 for the day, it to my grandma. I said, till the day she died, she always thought, oh, they'll come and pay it, you know. So I told the Corps of Engineers that time, this is what I'm about. This is what my people are about. This is what I'm fighting for my young people to come about, that they have this knowledge, this knowledge that that elder uh, never got up and spoke about. And uh, I do that today because that's what I was taught to do. The stories about Celilo that I told, was told to sit there and listen. And the stories of campgrounds, the names of all those places, hunting camps, root digging camps, Choke cherry camps, uh, fishing camps, Ealing, Willamette Valley, you know, Kathlamet or Silvers. Uh, all of this was what I was taught, you know. And uh, today, I'm glad where I was raised, and I'm glad of who I was raised by. That was Warm Springs elder and fishing rights advocate, Bruce Jim. Thanks for listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. 
I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. We're a community-supported nonprofit with the mission to connect people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system through Indigenous voices. To find out more about Confluence, our five completed art sites along the Columbia River system, and our educational programs, check out our website, confluenceproject.org. Remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit. We can only do this work because of the generous support from the Friends of Confluence. That's you. Join us today.